Today we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and next week the chapters are kind of small, so we might actually be able to finish the book of Ecclesiastes uh, next week. We'll see, Lord willing, how it all goes. But Ecclesiastes chapter 10, we read in verse 1. It says, Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. And so as we go through our chapter tonight, you're going to see it's kind of similar to the book of Proverbs. And there's going to be uh, a lot of uh, short and brief things that we're going to look at. And I don't know, I bet you there's some of you here that have actually gone through the whole book of Proverbs with us. And now here we are in Ecclesiastes. I tell you what, man, if you study these books out, you will be wise. You will be wise if you study it out and you're asking God to you know, show you what it means, the interpretation and application. It'll be completely different than all the fools who are living this life. And they're making these crazy, dumb decisions. They talk too much. There's a lot of things that we learn from the Proverbs. And so this chapter it resembles the Proverbs a lot. And so my prayer has always been, Lord, make me a wise guy. Don't let me say a word that I shouldn't say. Don't let me think a thought that I shouldn't be dwelling on. Lord, give me wisdom as a, as a man so that I can stay pure and I won't be even looking at things. You know, recently we went to Disneyland. And when you go to Disneyland, you're going to see a lot of girls that are dressed. Um, they're, they're not dressed right. I guess you guys are going to see it everywhere you go, huh? You go to the beach, I'm sure. And so when going into that, the Lord had um, shown me something about how when Jesus died on the cross, it, he died of a broken heart. You know, they, they pierced him in the side and out came blood and water. And what that means is that his heart ruptured. His heart was broken. And I'll tell you what, for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit took that truth to me and uh, the Lord communicated something to me. The Lord said, you know, you broke Jesus' heart, you know, through the sins, through the ways that we live life. And so when I went to Disneyland and, you know, wherever you go, I said to myself, you know what, of course, as a guy, you know, you got that temptation, but I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look at all. You want to know why? Because I do not want to break Jesus' heart. That's why. And so, you, you know, you're, I tell you what, you go through the Bible, you go through the book of wisdom, and a lot of guys, they get messed up by lust, pornography, wine, I mean, you name it. I mean, crazy things, crazy thoughts. They're not, some of them, you know, they're not surrendered. And so this brings us to that place where, you know what, I'm not going to be taken down by that giant. And my prayer is that you would be wise guys and that you would be wise gals. May God give us this wisdom today. The first one is kind of an interesting verse. You know, imagine, um, have you guys ever gone to a restaurant and there was hair in your food? You guys I don't know why that grosses people out. What's the big deal? Take out the hair, you know, you prayed already for the food and just eat it. Now, it'd be different, though, if it was a fly, right? And so here he says, when you get like a little fly in the ointment, I mean, the perfume, which is supposed to make you smell good, and, you know, we all love perfume, and we use it in so many different ways. I mean, the, the, the scents in our, um, the smells in our soap and shampoo and cream and deodorant and you name it, body spray and everything. I mean, we, we want it to smell good, right? 
And so what he's saying right here is if you put a fly, and these flies land in the ointment, then something that was supposed to smell so good, now it gives off and emits a foul odor. And so, you know, what he's saying right here is those little things, just a little folly. Look what he says in verse 1. A little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. What that does is it then they give off this, this foul odor. You know, this can happen to someone who is otherwise, and up to that point in their life, they've been respected and honored, but just a little folly, a little fall, it might ruin all. You know, the Bible says in Song of Solomon, it's the little foxes that ruin the vineyard, right? It's those little things. You know, 1 Corinthians 5, 6, it says, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? You know, and there in 1 Corinthians, it's interesting because he talks about the sexual sin that was in the church, and it was just one or two people, one man as, that was needed to be uh, excommunicated, and the Corinthians weren't dealing with it. That one man, and we talked about that even in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and so you kind of look at the context there, that one sinner, that one person, it messed up the whole church. And so a, a little leaven... We'll, we'll leaven the whole lump. We can't say, okay, well, I'm you know, 90% you know, surrendered, but I'm going to hang on to my drugs. I'm going to hang on to my wine. I'm going to hang on to my lust. I'm going to hang on to my unforgiveness. I'm going to hang on to my hatred. No, it's a little folly that can take someone who is otherwise honored or respected and, and in one sense ruin them, right? It can be sin. Well, like I was thinking, and again, um, not that any of us are perfect. You guys know that, right? But I bet you anything, Moses would have loved to undo what he did when he got mad that one day at the church, at the congregation. You fools, you rebels. God said you were supposed to speak to the rock. And you guys remember, he struck the rock and he was upset with the people. And now he could not enter in to the promised land. So he still lived a great life, and I'm not saying that we're going to be perfect, but you know, don't uh, let your guard down. One thing I've learned in life as a Christian is you have to be a Christian all day long, man, every day. You know, a little sin, or even a little doctrinal offness. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And that context right there, he's talking about people that were coming in and teaching false doctrine. And so some of the people in the church, it kind of bums me out. They're listening to people like, you know, Joel Osteen or Joyce Myers or whoever, people that are health, wealth, and prosperity, or people are not teaching the Bible. You know, don't, that, that little doctrine, the little sin, it'll mess you up. And so we got to be so careful with those things. Um, Verse 2, it says, a, a wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom, and he shows everyone that he is a fool. And so the contrast here, and you're going to see it nine times in the chapter, he talks about a fool, he talks about a folly, uh, uh, the behavior of a fool. And so definitely something that he's trying to make sure that we don't fall into, right? And so basically, he says, a wise man's heart is at his right hand. This wise man has trained himself in one sense to veer to the right 
because his heart is right. While a foolish man simply you know, follows his heart, in one sense he veers in the wrong direction. Now in the Jewish mentality, the right hand was a place of honor. The right hand was a place of power. No offense, I'm just curious. How many of you guys here are left-handed? Anyone here left-handed? Okay, just one. Okay, you have to sit in the back. No, I'm just joking. No, you know, I like left-handers. I think that they're creative. Usually, uh, I used to see my uncle write with his left hand, and it's pretty, pretty cool. But for whatever reason, uh, um, they had this mentality that the right hand was, was the right hand. It was actually the, the strong hand. It was a place of honor. You know, when you read the, the scriptures, you'll see that, uh, for example, in Matthew twenty five thirty three, when Jesus is judging the nations going into the, um, the uh, millennial kingdom, it says that, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Again, right hand being honor, left hand being dishonor. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but in, in, the, in the Latin language, the, the, word, the Latin word for left is sinister, believe it or not, sinister. And it's kind of a weird thing to think about. But, but basically, what, what we're reading in this proverb is that when our hearts are not right, um, they're, they're going to veer in the wrong direction. And so what do we really want to get out of this proverb? Primarily, get your heart right. Get your heart right. Praise Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. No, pray that, you know, Acts 13, 22, that God would give you a heart after his own heart. Pray that. You know, pray Proverbs 4, 23, or practice Proverbs 4, 23, where the Bible says that uh, we are to guard our heart uh, because out of it spring the issues of life. And so don't let anything in your heart that's bad, because if your heart's bad, then there's going to be that inclination to go to the wrong side but when our heart is right, when we begin to cultivate the, the heart of the Lord, like, like David was when he was in right relationship with God, God saw him and God said, man, that guy's got a good heart. Then the Lord will do a great work. You know, Jesus said in Luke 6.45 that a good man out of the good treasure of his heart, he brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For it's out of the abundance of the heart that his mouth speaks. And so, uh, again, um, what we find is that the main thing is the heart, and prayerfully, we give it to God. You know, give him your broken heart. Give him the, the secrets. Give him the things that, you know, no one else knows about. Give it completely to him. Be real. Be real. And when you give him your heart, it's kind of cool the way that even the reactions in one sense are right you know in verse three he talks about a fool who, who walks along the way and he, and he lacks wisdom and and basically you're going to see and we'll talk about this more as we go through tonight that you know you'll see it you see the identity you see it in his walk that this guy is a fool verse four it says if the spirit of the ruler rises against you do not leave your post, for conciliation pacifies great offenses. And so, you know, real practical things. I mean, you might have a job and your boss comes down on you, right? Right away, sometimes you get these people, they just want to quit. 
Or it could be, you know, you're on a team and your coach is a little hard on you. Right away, you want to quit. And so what Solomon is saying right here is, listen, if that happens, don't, don't leave your post. You know, the, the Bible Knowledge Commentary, they said this, Solomon advised that the wisest course when confronted with a king's anger is not to leave one's post because calm and cool composure could lay great errors to rest. And so you just, you know, this is your post. This is where God puts you. This is your responsibility. You know, I'm not saying you can never leave your job. I'm not saying, you know, that you can never make transitions. But make sure it's for the right reason. You're not just running away, you know, from issues. Some people, they run from all their problems. They run from all the problem people. They run from all forms of conflict sometimes even leaving their posts where God put them. And so Solomon advises us to settle down, to pray, and, and maybe even see if God will move that mountain so that you can actually work things out. Proverbs sixteen fourteen it says something similar. As messengers of death is the king's wrath, but a wise man, even if it's the king, a wise man will appease it. Verse 5, it says, There is an evil I have seen under the sun as an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity. While the rich sit in a lowly place, I have seen servants on horses, while princes walk on the ground like servants. And so, you know, basically what, what Solomon is saying here is he's saying that you know, um, a wise man's good sense might suggest ways to maintain his position before an angry king. We saw that in verse 4. But Solomon also noted that one's position or job, you see it sometimes people getting promoted or put in those places, it's not always awarded on the basis of merit. You know, as you see someone, they deserve a promotion, they don't get it. Or someone who doesn't deserve a promotion, and you see them there in that place, and you wonder, what's going on? Solomon says there, again, notice in verse 5, it's an evil that I've seen under the sun. It's an, it's an error. You know, the, the ruler, the leader, he made a great error in this. And so, again, um, what we see right here is that folly, unfortunately, is set in great dignity. And so you guys, you're going to see it in life. Uh, Solomon saw it himself that not all, not all promotions are right or fair or good to us. But at the end of the day, we have to know that they're all good uh, as God is working out his purposes. What does the Bible say? Some of you guys know it, right? Psalm 75, 6 and 7. That exaltation doesn't come from the east or the west. It doesn't come from man. The Lord is the one who raises people up. The Lord is the one who puts people down. So we find comfort in that. Even though we look at things and sometimes it just doesn't seem fair, we know ultimately that God is on the throne, that he works all things together uh, for good. Verse 8, it says, He who digs a pit will fall into it. And whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. And he who splits wood may be endangered by it. 
Now, so there's two ways of looking at this section right here, you guys. Number one, it could be that this individual is doing all these things maliciously. Like they're breaking through a wall, you know, to get to, to their neighbor. Or they're, they're digging a pit, you know, with wrong intentions. Or, you know, these stones that they're quarrying, um, they would have the property lines. And so they're moving them, you know, with malicious intent and, and all these things. Uh, where it says he splits wood, it might be someone chopping down a tree. So again, that's one way of looking at it, that all these things are done maliciously. And what Solomon is saying is that they're going to pay for it. They're going to pay for it. But, but another way to look at it is uh, you're going to see that as you go through life and you're doing like daily duties, um, you might actually get hurt in the process. And so um, right here in the Hebrew, uh, the grammar, it's actually in a modal sense. It's called modal sense. And what that means is instead of the word will, you can put the word may. So he who digs a pit, you may fall into it. Have you guys ever done that? Have you guys, I know, I know teacher Jesse has, you know, he's working and then he's, he gets the hammer and boom, he hits his nail, right? You can get hurt working that way right and those days they had the walls and they didn't have them cemented as much as we do and so you know you're breaking down the walls and you just forgot to think that there might be a snake right there and you get bit by it you know sometimes we do things have you guys ever like stepped on the rake and then it come up and hit you in the face or whatever you know and so i'll tell you what i think believe it or not i think one of the things that solomon is saying is this section is you're gonna, we're going to see it as we go through the whole thing. Work hard and work safe. Work hard and work safe. And you guys are like, no, that's what my boss always tells me. Well, it's actually a good thing, you know? Even you ladies, as you're doing different things and you're cooking or you're working and planning, I don't know, you know, use a wisdom. Be safe. Believe it or not, that that injury, some of us are not as young as we used to be, it might linger longer than you expected. And so um, I think that maybe what he's doing right here as he's stringing these four Proverbs together is telling us to use prudence as we even do our daily tasks. Don't only work hard, but work safe because things happen. Like even verse 10, it says, If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. And so you guys know uh, if you're chopping, you know, let's just say you got an axe. It was nice when you first got it, but you've been using it a long time. They didn't have chainsaws back then, and so boom, they're using it over and over again. Eventually, it gets dull. It's got to happen. But you, you don't want to take the time. You don't want to stop and sharpen that blade. What's going to happen? You're going to have to work harder. So basically what he's saying is work, work harder. Uh, we're going to see it later. Work, work safer, but also work smarter. Work smarter. You know, take time uh, to sharpen the axe. Have you ever heard someone say about that individual over there? Hey, they're sharp. They're sharp. And I'll bet you that there was some effort that was invested to make them sharp. Maybe they, you know, read books with an open heart that are Bible-based. You know, maybe they took time, you know, to pray. 
Maybe they took time to be in quality fellowship. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We, over time, we can easily get dull as Christians. And we need someone. We need to be doing these things on the cutting edge in order to be sharp. Verse 11 says, A serpent may bite when it is not charmed. The babbler is no different. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness, and the end of his talk is raving madness. A fool also multiplies words. And so we'll stop there because I think Verses 11 through 14a, they talk primarily about um, our words, you know? And, um, you, know, uh, you know, we see this over and over again about the importance of taming our tongue. You know, they, they can tame lions, you know? They can tame and control elephants and bears, you know? It's just crazy how they can do stuff like that. You know, they can charm even snakes. It's, you know, an interesting thing. You know, but for us, um, basically, we have a problem sometimes taming our tongue. Now, we can't do it, but if we yield our tongue to the Lord, then, then he can. And I tell you, husbands, I tell you what, this will make all the difference in your life if you are smart in your conversation with your wife, with your children. Of course, that works both ways. You know, and, and what we find right here, God giving us uh, elementary things, but man, you know, we, earlier we talked about the little things that are mess up. James calls the tongue, it's a little member. But oh, what a, what, a, what a fire it kindles, how much damage it can bring. You know, here we see in verse 11 that the babbler it needs to be charmed. Uh, otherwise, uh, he or she will bite, right? And they're going to fight, and we see that. We need to be charmed, I think, by God. You guys remember those little uh, charming, the way they would do that with the snake? You know, for us, it's God. God, um, you um, do that work in me. You charm me because if I don't want to sound offensive to you guys, but you're all snakes. <laughs> we all have this fallen, depraved nature that if let loose, oh, we'll slice people up and we'll devour and we'll bite. And we need the Lord. We need the Holy Spirit to give us that power over our tongue. It says again, verse 11, a serpent may bite when it's not charmed and the babbler is no different. The words of a wise man's mouth, however, is a contrast, are gracious. They're gracious. The Hebrew word translated gracious here, it means acceptable. It means pleasant. It means favorable. Acceptable to who? Acceptable to God, right? And that's what we want. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, it says, let your speech always you might want to circle that word. Remember that word. Always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Not just say, hey, you got a Bible question, and I'll tell you, you know, with the, how, all the apologetic stuff. No, when he's talking about how to answer, I mean, he's obviously talking about wisdom, the right words, but the right timing, the right way, everything. 
And so our, our, our words, they always have to be seasoned with grace. And so, you know, the, the fool, it says right here, the lips of the fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth, they begin with foolishness. That's already a bad start. But the end of his talk is just madness, raving madness. He talks too much. His dialogue digresses. And so God help us, you know, as we're going through this uh, to tame our tongue. I'll be honest with you guys, you know, and I, I'm not in any way saying that I'm anywhere having arrived, but I bite my tongue constantly, every day. Like, oh, thank you, Lord, I didn't say that. I almost said that. Thank you, Lord, that I didn't. I'm serious, man. My flesh, things, they want to just, man, say things right away. Even sometimes dumb, coarse jesting, joking around. And I'm like, and I've made that mistake before, and it messes up everything. So the Lord just said, hey, you know, uh, think before you speak. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Seriously, we as Christians, when our heart is right, it's so cool how we can actually tame our tongue and good things will come out. It's a different life. It really is. And you pick it up there in verse 14 and it says, No man knows what is to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? Now, uh, we're, you know, I was thinking about this idiom we're probably all familiar with. It goes back to guys like Christopher Bullock and Daniel Defoe in the 1700s, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, he said this in the letter that he wrote. He said, Our new constitution is now established and has an appearing that promises permanency, but in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Give this man a book, a free book. Then you were like, wait a minute, I don't know anything about my future. One thing I do know, what Benjamin Franklin said, two things I know, death and taxes. Other than that, like we read right here, we don't know what our future is going to be, Right? There are some things uh, we do know will happen uh, after us, maybe even to us. Uh, we read the scriptures and there's a revelation there. Um, the Bible says in John 16, 13, that the Holy Spirit would then give the apostles a revelation of things to come. And so there is prophecy. We know for certain, like the rapture is going to happen, the second coming of Christ, things like that. But no one knows the day or hour. Right, that's what Jesus said in Mark uh, thirteen thirty-two and James four thirteen through fourteen. We don't even know if we're going to be alive tomorrow. None of us really knows the future, what's going to happen after us, right? And yet, there are certain things that we we do know. We know the future is our friend because the Bible says in Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven through thirteen. Even though directed to Israel, I know it's a principle for all of us that God has good plans for us in the future. And so we don't know the future. We don't know the details of the future, but the future is our friend because God is our Father, right? And so right here, he said, no one knows what is to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? It's true, Solomon. It's true. But we're Christians, and we have God on our side. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Like what one person said, the future is so bright, you've got to wear sunglasses. <laughs> Verse 15, it says, The labor of fools wearies them, for they do not even know how to go to the city. Now, this was actually an ancient proverbial expression for extreme foolishness. Um, and so, 
You know, uh, they don't even know how to tie their shoes. Or they don't even know the right from the left. You know, this is an expression that they had back then. And here's a, a foolish guy. If you think about it, he doesn't know how to get to the city and he should have learned it by now. But for whatever reason, I don't know if he's just home playing video games. I don't know. He doesn't know how to get to the city. He should know it by now. Part of it is because he's just too lazy to learn new things. That's what it says right there. The labor of fools, it, it wearies them. I can't figure this out. It's too complicated for me. And it wear, wear, wears him out. And, and so for us, you guys, I, I will say this to you. Um, sometimes we're afraid of working hard. As a man, I'm just telling you this. Because for whatever reason, we're afraid of getting tired. You know, even like when I'm praying or even sometimes when I'm reading the Bible or even sometimes when I'm outside and I have to dig and I have to do stuff at home and, you know, Shelly, she cracks my whip. No, I'm just joking. She's just keeping me busy, man. And um, it's a blessing. She doesn't put any pressure on me, but there are things that I know I should have done a long time ago. And sometimes we're afraid of doing hard work and, you know, I can be studying, for example, and, you know, there's a part of me that says, you should take a nap. And, uh, and I'm like, I can't take a nap. I mean, I might be tired. You go get a cup of coffee, you know, take a little walk, stand up. Don't be afraid to work hard. Don't be afraid to get tired. Because I remember one guy said, actually it was Winston Churchill. He said, the world is run by tired men. And so don't pamper yourself. Don't think, oh, it's so much that I have to do. No. We have to labor in the Word. We have to labor in prayer. We have to labor whatever it is, you know, building and breaking down things and working with our hands. Otherwise, we end up, and I think we see it frequently in the Proverbs, at the end of the day, I might be guilty of being a lazy man. Verse 16, it says, Woe to you, O land! When your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning, blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. And so, really, looking at this, I think Solomon is kind of referring to some what might be seen as incompetent leaders and in really hear that the, these Proverbs, Solomon, he contrasts the state of a nation whose leaders are, are undisciplined and immature. And he says, imagine having that kind of land. If your leaders, they wake up in the morning and they just feast, they just party. You know, some people are like, they get up in the morning, they start drinking in the morning. You know, it can happen where you get a leader who is a child in that sense, immature. Contrast that to a leader who it says right here is a son of nobles. And then these guys, they feast. It's okay to feast, but they do it at the proper time. And they don't live to eat. They eat to live. They, they eat, they feast for, for strength and not, you know, for drunkenness. And so when I was thinking of the son of nobles, uh, I, I think what Solomon is saying is here's a guy that was trained, here's a guy that was prepared, here's a guy that was ready you know, for that position. But also, isn't it cool when you get like someone who's a son of, of, of God, you know, who's a Christian? 
You know, so I want to encourage the church um, to run for office. I want to encourage the church to be parts of the, the political scene, you know, to get involved in things like that. And um, I also want to encourage the church to pray for our leaders because the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that we're supposed to pray for them because God wants everybody to be saved. And so imagine the contrast here, you know, as we see it laid uh, out before us. You know, Paul even warned, sometimes, you know, we can put a person in a Christian position who's not mature, they're not ready for it. You know what, just because an individual is good looking or gifted or whatever, you're like, oh man, they're so good or whatever, they might be this greatest musician, whatever the case may be. But if their heart's not right, if they're not mature spiritually, then you can mess everything up. There has to be a maturity. There has to be a, a seasoned saint in that place, you know, as, especially as a pastor. That's what Paul said in 1 Timothy 3, 6 and talking about the qualifications of a pastor. He said, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. And so you got a new guy. He's not ready for it. He gets all the accolades. And what it does is it just messes him up in the long term. You're better off waiting until that individual is ready. Blessed is the land with good, godly, qualified leaders. Verse 18, it says, Because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. Now, if you, you know, continue with the context of leadership, it's intended to be kept, and you know, we're talking about a leader who messes up the structure of a nation. One commentary said this, Solomon added that incompetent leaders are lazy, causing the ruin of the state and loss of its protection, such as the sagging of rafters and the leaking of roofs. In their undisciplined lifestyle, they're involved in raucous feasting and merrymaking, which depletes the state of its funds. And of course, we know this can happen nationally, but it can also happen personally, right? It can happen to us as a church if we didn't pay attention to the building, you know, if we didn't, you know, care for the facility. One of the things that I learned, and someone I wish they would have taught me earlier, but the importance of maintenance. I never really understood that. I just thought, well, you just wait for something to break down, <laughs> and then you fix it. And then the Lord starts showing me, no, you got to maintain that car. you got to take it in for an oil change. You know, you have to maintain the air conditioning units. I asked one of the brothers here, hey, can you look at everything just to make sure, you know, we're running on uh, good, you know, we got everything that we need, the, whatever, the Freon, the filters, all that kind of stuff. And so sometimes people, they allow everything to get dilapidated. You know, I was guilty of that. I had a wall that was broken down at my house. And it was just convicting me, you know, convicting me. And the Lord said, hey, that's a sign of witness to the neighborhood that you're a lazy guy. You better go on YouTube and figure out how to do a block wall or something. Hire somebody, you know. Don't eat for a week. You'll have the money then. Whatever you got to do, you know. All I'm saying is that if we're not uh, careful, if we're not, like, looking at things, then, you know, everything gets dilapidated and it's our fault, and so this is what he's saying right here is be careful with that. It applies nationally. I believe that's the context, but it also uh, applies personally. And even for us, if I can use this one last comparison for our bodies. In one sense, your body is a temple. Your body is a building. 
What do they say? You can ask Dr. Ray. Prevention is the best medicine. Be, take care of yourself, you guys. Take care of yourself. Verse 19 says, A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. Don't say amen, okay? <laughs> Again, you got to remember, Saul had no heart. David had a whole heart. Solomon had half a heart. This is a politician's answer. Tax the people. Let's get more money. And you know, that's not the way it works. Fun and feasting, people and parties, it's all good. But what Solomon says right here, even though we enjoy those things, the main thing is money. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I was in college, I, I remember a couple of people asked me. This is just me joking around. But I remember a couple of people asked me. They said, hey, what's your major? And I said, money. I, I don't know why that came out of me. But, you know, there was that mentality. I just want to make as much money as I can and do those kinds of things, right? And so, um, you know, I think that's the mantra, uh, the mentality of the world. I'll bet you there's some of you here maybe that you might say, well, you know what, Manny? The answer is maybe around $50,000. I'll tell you what, if I had about $50,000, my life would just be right, right? Or maybe for some of you, you need a million, right? Or maybe a little more. There is that, there is that it kind of creeps in sometimes that money is the answer to all our problems. But if you have that mentality, then you're looking and you're pursuing the wrong thing. Who's the answer to all our problems? It's God. You know, the $50,000, who knows? Maybe you spend it at Starbucks. Maybe he did give it to you. I, I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But I will say this, you know, that the answer is, is God. He knows our needs. And he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And if he wanted to give you $50,000, he could do it in one eleventh of a second, a blink of an eye. It would be yours. But apparently, you know, he doesn't think that's what you need. If that's what we needed, he would provide. But again, Solomon at this point, typical politician, uh, thinking that that's the answer. You know, it's kind of sad, to be honest, because Solomon has digressed as he has gotten older. Now, I told you guys as we're studying the book of James, you don't want to just get old. You don't want to just grow old. You want to grow up. You want to get more mature. You want to, you know, make sure that you don't go in the wrong direction. When Solomon first wrote the Proverbs, look at what he said in Proverbs 3, 13 through 15. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. I mean, when Solomon was there writing that proverb, he was just saying, man, wisdom is way better than any amount of wealth, any amount of gold or silver or even rubies. And those were the highest jewels in the Jewish mentality. You know, so, so we got to make sure 
that we're not looking to money as the answer to everything. There's another proverb by Agur, something that I think many of us are familiar with. Proverbs 37 through 9, it says, Two things I request of you, to God, deprive me not before I die, remove falsehood and lies far from me, give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with the food allotted to me, but I want filet mignon. No, God says, I want you to have bologna. Remember those days? Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of my God. I mean, for some people, I tell you what, we think that's all we need, but if God gave it to you, you'd backslide. So I would just say, be good stewards with what he's given to you. I want to encourage you to try to put yourself in a position where you tithe to the Lord, you give to the Lord what belongs to him. You're obedient not only in your tithing, but also in your offerings. You know, for me, I like to give to God that, you know, tithe belongs in one sense, I think, to the church that I belong to. And then offerings, you know, and now I can give to these radio ministries that I'm listening to all the time or other ministries, other parachurch ministries. You know, God wants us to be generous in our giving because it's, it's then that we, we're, we're living by faith and we're saying, Lord, you're the answer, not money. Because sometimes we hold on to it and next thing you know, there's holes in our pockets and that's why because we're not looking to him ultimately. Verse 20, it says, Do not curse the king, even in your thought. Do not curse the rich man, even in your bedroom, because there might be a microphone there. No, I'm just joking. It doesn't say that. It says, For a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. And so it's interesting, real quick, as we close this proverb, He's saying there's an inadequate leaders there. These, guys, these leaders, some of these guys are just way out there, right? But he's saying right here something interesting, but, but don't curse them. Don't curse them. Don't hate them. You got to love them. Now, there is a difference between criticizing or maybe having a conversation with a leader that you disagree with where we can do that. There's a big difference between a monarchy and a democracy. Those are things to take into consideration. But, but, you know, um, what he's saying right here is don't, don't curse them. Don't even, you shouldn't even go there in your heart because you never know, man. Somehow, some way that, you guys ever heard that saying, a little birdie told me? That somehow it just gets back to that individual. And I've seen it over the years. I've seen it in ways that will blow your mind. I've seen conversations, people called me. They didn't even know they were calling me. And you know, God can do that. Some of you guys have done that, right? And I'm like, whoa, trip out. I can't believe this is where they're at. And so all I'm saying is, you know, what God is saying is, I would say to you, like if you have an issue with your leader, talk to your leader. Don't talk about your leader. And even me, I've always had that conviction, not just leaders, Christians. Christians, we should not slander. We should not gossip. We should not backbite. You can talk to my wife. I have a heavy, heavy-duty conviction about that. Just because it's wrong. But, you know, at the same time, what Solomon says here is they can find out. They can find out. We want to know how because God can somehow reveal it to them. Remember Elisha. You might remember the story in 2 Kings chapter 6 when uh, Syria was invading Israel. They were attacking them. And every time they would attack them, Israel was ready for them. I mean, like they knew what was going on. 
And so the king of Syria finally said, okay, who, in you, who of you guys is an informant to Israel? And, and it's interesting what the Bible says, and one of his servants said in 2 Kings 6.12, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And God can reveal things. And so, again, that shouldn't be our primary motive. Oh, I'm going to get busted. The primary motive should be, um, it's not right. But just know that it, God can reveal. 